comes to presents and <clears throat> gift buying, I'm, I'm pretty practical and utilitarian. You know, I kind of find out what does somebody want, and I go to the store and say, what do you want? I'll go find it, and I'll buy it, and here you go. Here's your gift. And um, uh, my wife, on the other hand, takes it a little bit more serious, she would say. You know, for her, the challenge is always to be able to find the perfect gift. And so, you know, that requires, you know, several months in advance having a conversation about what that gift might be. And then after conversations, you have to go and find the gift. And so you find a couple different options. You usually buy a couple offerings because you can always return them, you know, and bring those gifts home. And then you kind of sit with them and think about it for a few days till eventually you find that gift. And the worst thing is when you can't find the gift that you've been looking for. You can't find that just right gift that you've been looking for. Um, But I don't think it just applies to gifts, because I think there's lots of other things in life that we're searching for, that we're looking for, that sometimes we just can't find the right one. Uh, What about the right relationship? You know, just looking for the right relationship and can't seem to find that right relationship. You might even have entered a, a new relationship. And it's not uncommon for people to enter a new relationship with someone that they thought was everything they were looking for. And a few days, and a few weeks, and a few months, and a few years, you're like, wow, that wasn't everything I was looking for. There's still some things missing. Um, maybe it's a career. Uh, maybe you thought that you hit the, landed the dream job and it was going to be exactly what you're looking for in a job. And you finally start in the first couple of days and weeks and then you're like, oh, they didn't tell me about this. Oh, they didn't tell me about that. Yeah, they really didn't tell me about that. That was not what I'm looking for. And we slowly discover that in life there's a lot of things where we still haven't found what we're looking for. And um, that was the title of a song that uh, I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song that just reminds us there's a lot of things that people are out there looking for.
So you're not the only one who hasn't found what you're looking for. Not the only one. Um, Last week we began a new series entitled Finding Your Way Back to God. And we started by looking at the story of a young man who was trying to find something. And he wasn't quite sure what he was looking for. Didn't seem to quite find it. And this morning we want to walk back into that story as well. Uh, Last week we talked about this wager. And I challenge you to pray this prayer. And the prayer was this. um, uh, The prayer was, um, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And as we talked about this prayer and what this prayer looks like, I said this prayer is not about just being more religious. This is not about doing more Bible studies or listening to more Christian radio. It's, it's not about being more religious. It's not also about um, eliminating all of your doubts. It's not about eliminating all of your doubts. Um, we said that there's a component of faith that stepping into faith and trusting God requires that you will have doubts. It's just beginning that journey. And this wager is also not making deals with God. You know, God, I'll, I'll pursue you. I'll check you out only if you help me out financially. I've heard you do it with other people. Now it's my turn, you know. Or, or I'd really love for you to rescue this relationship that I have that's kind of a mess right now. Um, and if you do that, then maybe I'll, I'll check things out with you. But we said finding your way back to God is all about surrender. It's all about saying, God, I, I give up. I'm, I'm done trying to do this on my own, trying to make it work my way. It's not just about surrender, but it's about holding on to hope. Holding on to hope. And recognizing that I might not have all of this figured out. And I might not quite believe all of this, and, but I'm going to hold on the truth that I do know about God and who He is and His Son Jesus in a relationship with Him. That's what I'm going to anchor my life on. And I'm going to hold on to that. And the last thing is, is it's discovering and experiencing God's unconditional love. His unconditional love. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Luke 15, Luke 15, if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the racks in front of you, grab one of those, um, or turn there in your phone or tablet. Uh, Luke 15 is where we're going to be this morning. And in Luke 15, the Bible's in your seats, it's on page 848, is the story of the prodigal son. And let me just recap it for you. Um, Tim Keller in his book, Prodigal God, provides a short summary of the book, and he says it's really a simple story. It's a simple story. It's about a father and two sons. Father and two sons. And one of the sons um, decided that he had had enough of living in his dad's house and it was time for him to head, for, to head out. And so he said, Dad, I want all my money. I want everything that's coming to me and I want to take it and I'm going to leave. And the story goes that he squandered it on sensual and selfish living. A famine hit the land. And when a famine hit the land, he had nothing left. And he decided... I'm going to go back home, and and maybe if I go back home, I'll just be a servant. I don't even need to be a son in my father's house. I'll just be a servant. And as he came back home, he was welcomed with open arms by his father and a party upon his return. And the reception by the father alienated and angered the older son, and he wanted nothing to do with his father and nothing to do with his younger brother. The story closes with the father appealing to the firstborn son, to join them and welcome the younger brother back and forgive the younger brother, which he could not do. The pictures are pretty easy to grab hold of. The father pictures God himself. The two brothers, the, the older brother, kind of pictures the religious community, um, the people of those days known as the 
Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scenes, the religious community. And the younger brother pictures the, the lost sheep of Israel, the people that had wandered away. And so the story is a pretty simple story. And in this story, we're focusing on the younger brother and the awakenings that happen in his heart and in his soul. And if you're there in Luke, uh, Luke 15, let's take a look at the verse 12 is where we're going to start. Verse 12 of Luke 15. There we go. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in the land of the living. You know, when the son made this request for the inheritance... The son said to the father, can I have my half? It wasn't as easy as just you know, going to the bank and drawing some money out or closing out an iron, giving him, here you go, here's your half. I mean, they didn't have cash in those days. And so likely the father had to sell livestock that he had. He likely had to take portion of his land, his property that would have been his son's, with his son's holdings, and he had to sell that land to someone else. So this was not a quick and easy process. It wasn't something that happened overnight. It was also expected in those days that sons would take care of their fathers in their old age. And this son was saying, I'm going to be gone. I don't want anything to do with you. You're on your own when you get to that point in your life. The younger son was acting as if the father was literally dead to him. It's as if he said to his dad, Dad, I'm, I kind of wish you were dead wish you were dead. I thought about what that must have been like for the father to hear those words from his son. A father who had worked hard, who had saved, who had built up whatever estate he had, was willing to share all of that with his son that he loved. And the son saying, I don't want anything to do with you. I'd just as soon you be dead. Devastating for a father to hear that. Where was the son headed? He was headed out to find something that he was looking for. That's where he was headed. And I think what the son was pursuing is the thing that I want to talk about this morning. Two of the deepest longings of the human heart. The deepest longings of the human heart. The first deep longing for the human heart is that we long to be loved. We long to be loved. Um, you know, this started in the, in the garden when God created man and man was all by himself. And he said, there's no one to be with me. And so God created woman to be with him. But I think the longing is not just for the, the intimacy of a husband and wife and procreation of children. I think it's a longing for relationship. You see, God the Father exists in perfect relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And they have an amazing relationship where they live in life in perfect unity. And God said, I want you to experience what we experience all the time. And the truth is, everybody's looking for it. Everybody's looking for it. In the 80s, after 20 artists rejected the offer to record the song, Johnny Lee jumped at the chance to record a song that was a number one hit in three weeks at, a, at the top of the Hot Country single. And the song was a soundtrack in the movie Urban Cowboy. And you know what that song was? Looking for what? Love. Looking for love. And we just celebrated a day for that, a day when it was set aside for the people that we love, the people that we care about, the people that matter the most to us. Unfortunately, as the song says, we're all looking for love where? In all the what? Wrong places. Yeah. 
Verse 14 of the story goes on. It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. He squandered everything he had, all of his wealth and wild living. We know a little bit later in the story as the son, the older son, rats on the younger brother, you know, and he says that he was involved with prostitutes. Obviously, he took a few two selfies and posted them on Instagram and, you know, his older brother saw him and knew what he had been up to, you know. Um, whether it was Vegas or Amsterdam or wherever it was, he was trying to find, fill this deep longing for love that was inside of his soul. He was looking for something. And the truth is, every person on the planet lives with this, lives with this. It's not just something that's the, that's the theme in every romantic movie. There's part of the divine DNA that's planted in every person alive today to be loved. And this comes from God Himself. It's such a powerful drive inside of us that even when people have a relationship that goes bad or goes sour, so many people jump right back into a new relationship very, very, very quickly. Um, they don't even give themselves a break to figure out what went bad in this relationship. And if they can't enter a relationship, they have to numb the longing and the ache in their heart with some type of addictive behavior or Netflix binge or, or something just to soothe the pain inside of them. Say, so where does this come from? The reality is, is it comes from God. It comes from God. 1 John 4, 7, John writes this. He says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. He says in verse 8, he says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And he goes on in verse 16 to repeat the same thing. If I can get to verse 16. There we go went too fast. And as so we know and rely on love that God has for us, God is love. The truth is that God created us, God made us in his image, and he put the character of God, this characteristic of love inside of each one of us. And I believe that our deepest desire and deepest longing is to be loved and for that love to be from God. And God showed this love to us by giving what he treasured the most, his one and only son, Jesus, um, to show us how much he loved him. In 1 John 4, he says this. He, this is how he showed his love. He sent his one and only son. He loved us and sent that son to this earth for us. You know, I don't think the prodigal son just woke up one day and said, you know, I'm kind of tired of being here at home with mom and dad. I think I'm heading out. Dad, give me what I want. It's time to go. Uh, there's always more to the story, isn't there? There's always more to the story. If you ever watch 48 Hours or any of the murder, you know, the mystery news, mat, news TV shows, and something happens to someone, someone's tragically murdered, someone runs away, abandons their family, there's always more to the story, isn't there? I mean, they always unpack this. Oh, look at this email, look at this bank record, look at this, they did this, and this is who they talked to. There's always more to the story leading up to that. And you almost have to believe there was a component of that with the prodigal son. That the prodigal son was spending time, was engaged in activity, was doing things that, that over time just said, you know, there's something more, and I'm not finding it here, so I'm off. I'm heading off on my own. 
And as we look at this story of the prodigal son, I want to challenge you, as this story represents much of our story, to ask yourself, are there distractions in my life that are keeping me from knowing and experiencing God's love because I'm looking for this love in my life to be filled? Are there distractions? Because distractions become temptations that becomes longings, that becomes things that I have to then pursue. That I have to pursue. You know, as I think about this unconditional love of God, um, sometimes it's hard to believe. Sometimes it's hard to believe. I don't know about you, but occasionally I have a bad day. Not every day. Most days are pretty good. I think I'm fairly lovable most days. Um, my family might disagree at times, but you know, there are days I have a, I'm in a bad mood. There's a days I. I, you know, I, I'm kind of grumpy when I wake up. There are days and, you know, when I'm not feeling well or I'm demanding or I'm critical or I'm on edge. And sometimes when I respond like that, I get treated nicely and sometimes I get treated with what you might think I deserve on those days. But when I think about God's love, God's love is always the same for me. No matter how bad I am, God's love is the same for me whether I stop and talk to God or think about God all week long and then I just show up on Sunday morning. He still loves me the same. I don't have the capacity to do that. I want the people that I love to pay attention to me and interact with me and have a relationship. And if they ignored me for a whole week and then just wanted, and they did that week on end, I think I'd get tired of that. But God doesn't. God doesn't. God's love is the same today for you and it will never lessen for you as long as you are alive and breathing on this earth. That's the kind of love God has for you. No matter how far you run, no matter where you hide, no matter how busy you get, no matter how distracted you are, God's love never changes for you never changes for you. You see, that's what this son was trying to find. He was trying to fill this emptiness in his soul. And there was nothing that was going to fill this other than his relationship with a God who loved him. And he walked away from it all. He abandoned it all. And still that father was there with his arms open wide, ready for him to come home. And that's the God who loves you. You say, John, how do I experience this love? I think most of us know this love here. Most of us know it up here. We know God loves the world and I'm a part of the world, so God loves me. We know that. How do I experience the love that God has for me? How do I experience that? I think there's a part of that experience where I ask myself, what does it feel like to be loved like that? Because the truth is, nobody can love you like God can. Nobody can. Nobody can love you with that kind of unconditional, 100%, never-changing acceptance like God can. As much as you want to love your spouse that way or want to love your kids that way, it's not possible for us to do that. 
Only God can love you that way. But I think the other thing that has to happen is we have to experience it. I think the way that we experience that is we experience from someone else. From someone else. And what we experience from someone else is not unconditional love, but sacrificial love. Where someone sacrifices something that is valuable to them and they offer it to you. And you can't do anything back for them. I've had the privilege on occasion to be recipients of an anonymous gift. Anonymous gift. I can't thank the giver. I can't tell the giver how much I appreciate that. I can't say to the giver, wow, that was so helpful and this is what I did with that. I'm so appreciative. I can't say anything to the giver. And I think to myself, that gives me a little bit of an idea what it is to be loved sacrificially. Because the truth is, as I said this to you last week, my love for the, even the people that I love the, the most in this world, my family, my wife, I, if I'm really honest, I often give and I love hoping that they'll do something back for me, if I'm really honest. Do I want it to be pure? Do I want it to be sacrificial? I want it to be. But at the end of the day, I want them to notice and I want something coming back to me. And so maybe for you, this awakening that we're talking about, this finding your way back to God, is an awakening to the love that God has for you that will never change and that will never lessen no matter what. And maybe part of experiencing this love that God has for you is for you to bring some of your guard down and allow other people to love you. Allow other people to sacrificially serve you. Someone challenged me about this recently. And I thought to myself, why do I, why do we sometimes not let other people love us? We're self-sufficient, we take care of ourselves, we do whatever we need. Because our heart's been wounded. That's why. You know, when we cut ourselves, when we wound ourselves, we put on a bandage, we wrap it up, we protect it, we don't let anybody near, we say, kids, stay away from it. You know? We keep it clean, sterile, and the truth is, some of us have had the deepest part of our souls very, very badly wounded. And so we don't not only let God close, even though we believe in God, we don't let God close, we don't let other people close to us. Because we don't want to be needy, and we don't want to put ourselves at risk. And so maybe for some of you, it's allowing someone else in your life to love you. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time you said to someone outside your immediate family, I need help, can you help me? Ask yourself that question. When was the last time you went outside of that circle and you said, I need help, can you help me? And you gave someone else the opportunity to sacrificially serve you. You see, this is hard to do. And we wonder why we don't know and experience the love that God has for us. But that's what He wants to awaken our souls to. 
not only was this son looking for love, but I think the other thing that this son was looking for is he was looking for meaning. He was looking for meaning. You see, the truth is we all want our lives to matter. We all want them to matter. No one wants to come to the end of their life and say, what was the point of it all? There was a study done recently that I read about, um, about a number of senior adults who were kind of getting close to the end of their lives, and they said, what is the one thing, out of all the things that you did in your life, what's the one thing that they wanted to be true after they, their lives came to an end? And they said the one thing that they, the majority wanted to be true is that when they lived their life, they impacted someone. They made a difference in someone's life. You see, most people don't just simply want to suck air, take up real estate, and die. Most of us don't want to do that. And the truth is, even if you have a lot that this world has to offer, you're still looking for meaning. I want you to watch a video clip of Steve Croft interviewing Tom Brady on 60 Minutes years ago. Apologize for the video quality, but listen to his words as you hear someone at the pinnacle of his achievement trying to find meaning. Brady has already become a bigger star than Carl Yastrzemski, Larry Bird, or Bill Russell. You go out with Tom, you just kind of feel sorry for him in a way, kind of, because he's just getting bugged all the time. You know, we, we float through there, they just see a big overweight white guy. <laughs> That's pretty normal out here, <laughs> you know. But you know, there's Tom Brady. I mean, everybody wants to everybody wants to be around Tom. Can you go out to restaurants? If I have the energy to deal with, you know, putting a happy face on, sometimes I don't feel like that. Now you seem a bit the reluctant star. Well, the problem is, it's you can't have one without the other. You can't have the football fame and not the other stuff. So. In a lot of ways, I've created this myself. <laughs> it's what you always wanted. You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. It's less money than Peyton Manning and even some journeyman quarterbacks are making, but Brady wanted to leave some money on the table for the Patriots to hire free agents to help them win another Super Bowl. I used to get $600 dorm checks and, and go eat Subway and use pizza cards to get my way through college, and eat baked potatoes and make pancakes every night. So I don't think that's ever been a big thing for me. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. He's turned down multi-million dollar endorsement deals because he didn't think they were right for him. And many of the ones he's taken, he's shared with his teammates. Uh, you guys have to go everywhere with me. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. Even at the top of your sport, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be something more. The guy we met last week, Pascal, the 17th century mathematician, he said this 
um, in wrestling with that issue. He said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing but only by God, the Creator. I think that's part of what the prodigal was looking for. But I think not only was he looking for it, Solomon was also looking for it. The wisest guy, the wealthiest guy that ever lived. You know, look what he said at the beginning um, of his book. He said, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything's meaningless. In chapter 1, he tries to pursue wisdom and knowledge and study and reading and he says it's all meaningless. In chapter 2, he pursues pleasure and having anything that he needed and wanted. He says it's all meaningless. Later in chapter 2, he tried to work hard so he'd have all the possessions that he needed. It's all meaningless. It's just chasing after the wind is what he concluded. Just like the prodigal son, I think he was searching for more, searching for meaning, searching for something that would leave him fulfilled. And where did it leave the prodigal son? Feeding the pigs in the pigsty after all of his wild living. You know, he left the goodness and generosity of the Father for a distant land. And some of you have been on that journey. Some of you have been on a journey where um, you had a, a place that was secure and a place that was, that was loving and you said, I need to be out on my own. I want to walk away from all of this. And you've been down this road just like the prodigal where you've walked away and God's bringing you back. And God's inviting you back. Others of you are still here, still trying to sort this out and make some sense out of these things. And the problem is, is any time we try to pursue life, any time we try to pursue meaning and purpose in our lives, apart from our Creator, things get all messed up. You see, our culture says, follow your what? Follow your what? Heart, right? That's what the culture says. Follow your heart. Our culture says, do what makes you what? Happy. Do what makes you happy. And the truth is, is if we just follow our emotions, if we just follow our heart, it's going to leave us in some dangerous places if the Creator's not involved in that conversation. Because if you pursue a relationship with someone just because it feels good and God's not involved in that conversation, you're going to find yourself looking for something more. And if you pursue a career just because it's the next step up on the ladder, just because it's the next career move ahead, and the Creator's not involved in that conversation with you, it's going to leave you looking for something more. The only way to discover meaning and purpose is to connect with your Creator and to find out what has He made you for. What has He made you for? Paul talked about this in his letter to the Ephesians. When he said this in Ephesians 2.10, he said, For we are God's handiwork. Oops, went ahead too, there, too fast there. Sorry about that. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, God says that if you're a follower of mine, if you're one of my children, I've got this plan mapped out for you. Now, for some of you that like to make your own way, you're like, I want to make up my own plan. And God says, well, go ahead. You're going to mess it up. Go ahead. Follow your own plan. You'll come back to me sometime down the road. And then some of us don't like the idea of a plan for our lives. I don't know if you've heard the story of uh, the guy out in, in Southern California who has three sons that are very good basketball players. One plays for um, UCLA right now, probably going to be the top pick, one of the top picks in the NBA draft. His younger brother is a... 
uh, is a senior at their local high school and his father's already got him signed up to go to UCLA next year. The third brother is a sophomore, just scored 92 points in a basketball game. And the father said when he's eligible, he's going there as well. And, and by the way, I'm trying to get a billion dollar shoe deal for all of my sons. And he's got their whole lives mapped out. But when you hear this story and you hear this guy talk, it doesn't sound like he has his son's best interest in mind. It sounds like he has a good bit of his interest in mind. But our Father, our Heavenly Father says, I have your best interest in mind. And I have something mapped out for you that is going to reflect who you are and what I've made you to be and what I've made you to become. When it says, for you, we are God's handiwork, that word handiwork is the word poimea. It's, it, it's where we get the word poem from. Paul's saying is he's saying that you are a perfectly scripted, perfectly metered, perfectly rhyming poem that God is writing with the story of your life. And when you do what I've made you to do, it's like the symphony of heaven is playing. You see, I think God longs to whisper in our ear, this is what I've made you to do. This is what I've made you to do. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. When you're doing something you're good at, when you're doing something you love, and you have this sense that God says, this is what I've made you that's what living life is all about. And that's what God the Father invites you to live on this earth and live out. And so for you, as you walk away this morning, there's a couple of different things I want to give you to think about. Maybe you're just hearing this prayer the first time, and for you, this is what you need to say this week. You need to say, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. I'm not sure how, I'm not sure in what way. I don't know if it's going to be a, a lightning bolt from heaven or it's going to be a quiet whisper when I'm all alone. But somehow make yourself real to me. Maybe for you this week, it's saying, God, if you're real, make your love real to me. God, I know you love me. And I've never questioned that. But I've never felt secure in your love. I always feel like I have to measure up. I always feel like I don't do enough. It's always about my performance. God, I just want to know that you just love me. No matter what. No matter what. Maybe for you this week, your prayer is, God, if you're real, make your purpose for my life real to me. Remind me what I love to do. Affirm in me the things that I'm good at. And when I get a chance to do them, would you whisper in my spirit, that's what I've made you for. Would you bow your heads and just take a moment. Whichever one of those three prayers connects with where your heart is today, just take a moment and talk to God about it.
God, you know each of our stories. And you have a plan for our lives. And Lord, part of that plan is for us to know and experience your unconditional love. Part of that plan, God, is for us to know that you have a divine purpose for our lives. And that when lived out, when doing the good things you've designed for us to do, there's nothing better in this world than doing that. Lord, I pray that you would awaken these longings deep in our hearts, deep in our souls, things that come from the Creator Himself. And that, God, as you stir these things in us, that would you would help us to walk with your help and with your strength to know and experience them. God, awaken these things in us. We pray in your name. Amen.